Good morning, Rocky Peak. <laughs> and happy Easter to you. Great to have you here, whether you're here in our worship center, you're joining us right now on the Ridge. So great to have you with us. Uh, how are you doing today? You doing well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, great. Awesome day to be celebrating the resurrection, right? It'd be great. All right, so we're going to be going to our time of teaching. We've got a lot of things planned today, but uh, next on the agenda, we're going to be doing some uh, teaching together. Inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. We use it every week, and so you'll definitely want to take that out. That'll help you follow along. So if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You ready to go? Let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here on this day, your day, Resurrection Day, now, the, the day that history changed, the, the pivot point of our race. Now, the starting of the new resurrection, not just for Jesus, but for all of us. And so we, we come today, God, I pray your spirit will be in this place. I pray your spirit will be upon me. I pray my mind will be clear. Thoughts will be fresh. I pray that we would have ears to hear what your spirit would say as we come into your presence now. We pray it in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today in the middle of the night. It's got to be two or three in the morning. He doesn't have his watch on, so he's not really sure. But he's going to get up. He's arranged to meet some friends down at the harbor. And so he gets up in the cool spring air and kind of goes through his house quietly. He doesn't want to wake up the family. Sneaks out the front door, emerges into a starlit night. It's clear night, crystal clear, brisk spring air. The last few weeks have been crazy for him. They've left him confused, dazed. It's been a time of great expectation, of tragic loss. It's been a time of unparalleled joy, but it's also been a time of deep personal failure that's led to despair to where he's not really sure what the future is going to mean for him. He's, he's kind of lost himself, not sure who he is or where he's going. And so that's why he's up in the middle of the night to head out with his buddies, the only ones who have been where he's been, understand the journey he's on. And so as they meet up down at the harbor, they'll get into their small boat, head out to the sea, where the only sounds will be the gentle breeze rustling through the air and the sound of the waves lapping against the hull of their boat. Well, today we come to Easter weekend, and I'm so excited to be celebrating with you. We want to talk today about the resurrection of Jesus, and, and how it's not just a resurrection for Jesus, but it's a resurrection for all of us, that he died and rose so that we can die and rise to a whole new life, and I want to talk about second chances. And to get at this today, I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that was written by one of the uh, leaders of the early, uh, early church of Jesus, early movement of Jesus. His name is Peter. We know him as the Apostle Peter. And he writes this, uh, this letter about 35 years after the resurrection. He's writing to a group of Christ followers that are spread throughout several provinces in the ancient Roman Empire, but all today would be centered uh, in the landmass we would call modern-day Turkey. And so these, uh, these men and women have recently become followers of the resurrected Jesus. And as a result, they're beginning to experience some significant persecution in their life. And so he's writing to encourage them, to challenge them, to motivate them, and to coach them on how to face this dangerous time. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, well, no, you don't need Bibles today. In fact, I'm, I forgot where I'm at. Uh, it's like I'm on autopilot, right? Fourth time through, you know, that, that, that. Right. Uh, 
there in the United States, a section called Second Chances, uh, a resurrection story. And what I actually did today is we're, we're only looking at one verse, and I decided to put it on the note sheet so we'd all be on the same page and we could just kind of uh, look through. We'll be looking at this verse several times today. But uh, this is how Peter kicks off this letter to these, uh, these new believers. And uh, he starts off kind of introducing himself, you know, Simon Peter, a servant of Jesus and so on. But when he gets into the, the intro to his letter, this is how he starts. He starts it sort of like a Jewish service. Remember, Peter's a Jew, and so he's growing up in synagogue. And so he starts it with sort of a Jewish-type blessing to begin the letter. And he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's just a single verse, but it's, it's power-packed. It's very dense, a lot there. And what I want to do today is just take some time and unpack this uh, kind of very uh, full passage. And uh, to get at this, I want to highlight three key words or phrases that Peter uses here that help us understand not only the resurrection of Jesus, but what it means to be a follower of the resurrection Jesus. So there in your note sheet, you've got a blank for number one. So let's jump in, right? So the first phrase is the phrase new birth. So Peter says, if you follow along there on your note sheet, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us what? All right, now that was okay for nine o'clock because they're still waking up. You guys have had two hours more sleep. I expect more out of you, all right? So, um, and that means you and the rich as well, all right? So uh, let's try it again. So uh, it says, uh, who's, uh, in his great mercy, he has given us what? New Good, new birth, right? So this is a phrase that goes all the way back to Jesus. So about 35 years earlier, Jesus is having a conversation very early in his ministry with a, uh, like a Jewish aristocrat in Jerusalem. So this man has come at nighttime. We're not sure why, uh, whether he's trying to avoid the crowds or whether he wants to come under the cover of darkness. After all, Jesus is very controversial. He's a very influential guy. And so he comes to Jesus and he wants to have a conversation. And what's on his mind is uh, what we call the kingdom of God, all right? So when we think kingdom of God, modern day, we often think kingdom of God, we often think in terms of the next life. We might think in terms of heaven. But for a first century Jew, that's not what they thought when they thought of the kingdom of God. What they thought of was this era in history when the prophets of Israel had been predicting for hundreds of years that one day God would return to their nation, that he would forgive their sins. He would change them from the inside out, that uh, he would uh, kind of usher in a golden age, not just for Israel, but for all of creation. And so it wasn't an otherworldly type thing. It was kind of a here and now type thing, this new age that would come. When God would come and reign over his people, that would be his kingdom, uh, perhaps through his Messiah, the great king. And so as this man comes to Jesus, apparently that's what's on his mind because Jesus is going to cut him off and go right to that issue. And so uh, the question that this man has is, what do I need to do? Uh, what do I need to be in order to be part of this coming kingdom? Now, if you know anything about the, the teaching of Jesus, this was his big theme. Uh, if you've been with us through this series that we did, uh, this last year called Unfilter, we saw that over, this is the theme of Jesus, that this kingdom of God, long promised by the prophets of Israel, is very near. And so that's Jesus' topic. So he's coming to say, hey, so, okay, so I have a lot of respect for you. I've seen the miracles. I'm seeking. How do I become a part of that kingdom? 
And the answer Jesus gives him is going to surprise him. But what he's really asking is, what do I need to do to be part of the kingdom? And Jesus is going to say, it's not something you do, it's something that is done to you. That in order to be part of this kingdom, something has to happen in your life. It's not about you, it's something that happens to you. It's a supernatural experience. It's not something you achieve, it's something you receive. And Jesus says it's such a mind-boggling experience that there's, there's no way to really describe it. It's almost like starting life over again. It's like being born a second time. It's like a fresh start in life. It's like a second chance. And this is the way Jesus puts it in John 3, talking to this Jewish aristocrat named Nicodemus. He said, very truly, I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Remember, that wasn't a common phrase. Jesus is coining the phrase. Unless they're born again, a fresh start. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Spirit. So this is a supernatural something that happens to you. And so a few verses later, Jesus explained a little bit more. He says in uh, the next passage, he said, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, human beings give birth to human beings. Human nature gives birth to human nature. We've all been born in this room. We all share a common human nature. And if you haven't noticed, there's something wrong with it, right? (laughs) That we all have this magnetic pull to the dark side. We all have high aspirations that we fall short of. We have the want to, but not the power to. There's something broken in us that draws us towards a self-centered lifestyle, me first, that is evil, it's destructive, it's harmful, it's self-defeating. And Jesus says, hey, so flesh gives birth to flesh, and that kind of flesh, it can't be part of the kingdom of God. It's too screwed up. Like to be part of the kingdom, something has to change, and it's outside of your capacity to change it. And so he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit, no, it's capital S, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it's everyone born of the Spirit. It's supernatural. You can't control it. It's like the wind. You can feel it when it's blowing. You can hear the sound. You can see the effect, but you can't control it. You know where it comes from. So when someone is born again, Nicodemus, it's not something that you do. It's something that happens to you. So Peter is building in this. If we go back to First Peter now, you look on your note sheet, you see the verse there again. Peter is building on this concept. He says, all right, so you come to Jesus, you born again, something happens, you're changed from the inside out, you receive this new life of God. He said, but, he said, there's more to it. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living what? Hope, Hope, right? So he says that that not only you change now, but it changes your future. You're born into something. There's a new track you're running on. 
There's a, new, um, there's, there's a new direction in your life. And so that raises the second word for us, the second phrase. And the second phrase is living hope. So Peter says, if you follow along there, in his, he has given us new birth, we just talked about that, into a what? Yeah, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, the New Testament writers, you know, Peter, John, Paul, Ringo, uh, (laughs) uh, the New Testament writers, when they talk about the hope that is coming, they use the word differently than we use the word hope. Like when we talk about hope, we talk about something that's in the future, something that we want to happen, but something that may or may not happen. If I, so for example, I say, I hope the Dodgers win the World Series, right? And so yeah, it's just like, can I get an amen? You know, it's like, God, let's just anoint that team. No, um, so I hope it happens. It's something in the future. I want it to happen, but it may or may not, as we learned last year, right? So that's how we use hope. It's something that's in the future. We want to happen, but it may or may not happen. That is not how the New Testament writers use the word hope. When they talk about our great hope, they're talking about something in the future, yes, and something that we want to happen, yes, but something that is absolutely certain to happen. And the reason's absolutely certain, as Peter says, is because of the resurrection of Christ. So the question is, what's he talking about? What does he mean here? Well, you know, the Bible says very simply that the reason that death is in the world, the reason you die, I die, the reason the planet's dying, the reason things are messed up as they are, is because of sin. So it says that because of sin, the judgment on sin was death. And so, of course, this is why Jesus came to die for sin, to pay the penalty for sin. but So when he paid the penalty for sin, he had the authority now to rise over death. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, it was proof that he had conquered the sin issue and he had the right to bring resurrection to creation. And so because of the resurrection, of, the resurrection of Jesus is not just for Jesus, it's the first step of the resurrection of all creation. And what Peter is saying is when a man or woman comes to Jesus and they're born again, it's not just for this life, but we're born again into that future that is coming. And so, for example, in Peter's second letter, there on your note sheet, the next letter, second of Peter chapter 3, he talks about this and he says, in keeping with his promise, God's promise, we are looking forward to a what? A new heaven and a new earth. We often miss the earth part, right? We talk a lot about heaven, but uh, a new heaven and a new earth. And so this is a quote from the prophet Isaiah from chapter 65 and chapter 66. He mentions it twice. At the end of his prophecies, his prophetic vision of the recreation of all creation. And so uh, Peter is quoting that, and he says, in keeping with his promise of this new creation, uh, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so what Peter is saying is because of the resurrection of Jesus, this is no longer myth. This is no longer 
theory. This is not wish projection. He says, I was there. I saw Jesus. I touched Jesus. He came out alive. The new resurrection of all creation has begun. It started with Jesus. And so this is the future we're born into. We become a follower of Jesus. We will be resurrected as he is. We're not only born again, kind of resurrected spiritually here. We'll be resurrected there. We'll be part of this new future that's coming, right? So that's the second one. Now, the third phrase, the third word is this word mercy. And so he says, First uh, Peter 1, 3, there in your note sheet, in his great mercy. mercy. Let's try it again. <laughs> I know you're, you're learning, right? All right, so in this great, in his great mercy, good, he has given us new birth into a living hope, this new future, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, so Peter says, this whole story I'm telling you, this whole drama, this whole narrative about new birth and about a new future, uh, and this, this, that you can be a part of it, he says, um, this all happens because of mercy. In other words, going back to what Jesus said, this is not something that you do, it's something that's done for you. It's, it's not something you earn, it's something that you receive. It's, it's not something you uh, attain, it's something that is given. Right? It's in, now, for Peter, this was not a theory. This was his experience. So if you think about Peter's life, and I know some of you may know more or less about Peter, but if you think about Peter's life, if you study his life, Peter had a lot of ups and downs, didn't he? Like when he went the three years with Jesus, he had some tremendous highs and some really, really bad lows, some, some ups and downs. But he saved his worst performance for the end, right? So after three years of Jesus, he's ready for the final exam, and he flunked, right? So, so remember how it happened. The last night that Jesus was with his men before he's, before he's arrested, he, uh, he lets them know bad things are coming, hard things are coming. And Peter says, hey, I don't care what anyone else does. I'm, I'm, I'm going down with you. I, if no one's touching you, they got to go through me. They're going to get to you, they got to go through me. So I'm willing to die for you. And, Peter, and Jesus said, oh, oh, really? Um, hmm, interesting. Um, actually, Peter, that by the time this night's over, you're going to deny any association with me three times. And, of course, Peter protests, said, but he was absolutely serious. In fact, uh, when they went out that night, he strapped on a sword. He's ready to rumble. He's ready to go. And I don't know if you remember the, the account, but when the mob came to arrest Jesus, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, he's ready to fight. He doesn't care if it's 12 to 500 or whatever. He's, gonna, he's ready to go. He pulls out his sword, and he aims for the closest head he can find. He's going to cleave a guy right down the middle. But remember, he's a fisherman. He's not really good with the sword thing. He misses the guy's head, gets his ear, right? So if it was a fishing pole, he would have been knocked him out. But, you know... <laughs> And so you remember, Jesus put him away. I mean, Jesus said right there, so he stop it, knock it off. And here's the thing. Peter was willing to fight to the death for Jesus. He wasn't willing to die uh, for Jesus just, uh, you know, kind of surrendering. He, he, did, he never saw that coming. He, he never thought that Jesus would go down without a fight. And when Jesus just uh, surrendered... Uh, it blew his mind. In fact, it blew all their minds. They all went running, except here's the thing. We often miss this. Peter uh, actually showed tremendous courage because uh, while most of the men were running for their lives, that Peter and John, his buddy, 
they actually followed at a distance right into the enemy's camp. And this is a big deal. I mean, uh, when you go, uh, we're told that they went into the, the, the high priest's estate. And this would have been likely a, a very large, uh, beautiful Roman-style home. Uh, these are Jewish aristocrats, super wealthy. They would have been probably a walled complex. And so uh, uh, it turns out that John actually has some connections with the high priest. And so they, the guard recognizes him and he's able to get in and they kind of pose as like locals. So, so it's very, they're, they're going into enemy territory here, you know, probably behind locked gates. It's a, it's a very courageous thing to do. And so Peter's going to try to pass himself off by a local. And he's really close to the action. In fact, he's so close that uh, at one point while Jesus is being interrogated, Jesus uh, turns around and locks eyes with him. So like I can do that with most of you in this room, like you up there in the white, in the very top balcony. Can you raise your hand right there, right there? No, you, okay, you can't see me. I can see you. Yeah, yeah, it's you. Okay, good, good job. Yeah, yeah, thank you. All right, so uh, I can lock eyes. I can see, you know, like close enough. And so this was, so Peter is very close to action. Uh, he is risking his life by being there because he's trying to fit in. So it's, it's a cold spring night. I checked it out. You know, Passover is right now. I checked it out. Uh, the temperature in Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem's 2,500 feet elevation. It gets chilly there. They have snow there sometimes. So uh, 25, during, uh, like t- today, it was 49 degrees was the low. Right? So it's a cold night. And so he's warming his hands at the fire. He's just trying to fit in, just trying to look like he belongs, you know, undercover, right? And, uh, and so the problem is a servant girl goes by and she recognizes him as one of Jesus' associates. And so she calls him out and of course he denies it. And then others begin to pick up on this. And uh, Peter's trying to defend himself, but uh, he's got this crazy Galilean accent. So in Galilee was like Hicksville, right? So Jerusalem is cosmopolitan. Galilee is backwoods, Right? And so he's trying to come off like he belongs there. But this would be like a guy from Alabama hanging out with surfers in Malibu. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Surf's up. It's like, you're not from around here. And they recognize that. And they call him out. And now the heat is getting too close. And Peter finally cracks out of fear. And this last time he denies Jesus, he goes off. We're told that he, he swears, he curses. We don't really know, even in the Greek, what words he used. But very likely, this curse that he was calling is, is probably not just, you know, just four-letter words, but this, this curse part is, is very likely calling down himself, calling God's name, and calling down, may God put me under a curse if I'm not telling the truth. And so Peter, of course, all of a sudden, after he says this, the words of Jesus from earlier the night, says, you're going to deny me three times, they come back, and he is a broken man. And so he's going to go out, he's going to bawl his eyes out. It's the lowest point of his life. It's the deepest failure he's ever experienced. And, you know, I think probably some of us here, we can relate to this, right? Haven't we all been there, those times in our life where you know the right thing to do, and you even intend the right thing to do, but you end up doing the wrong thing? And you ruin your life, and you rue the day, and you, you do anything for a second chance. Could I just get a do-over? Can we rewind the tape, you know, if I just not said yes to her? You know what I mean? Uh, 
whatever the thing is, there's something that we've done. There's a party we've gone to. Why did I go to that party? Why did I get in that van? Why did I say yes to this plan? And we've all been there and, and we've just, you, you just get to a place like I would do anything to do that over. And that was where Peter at, but there was no getting over it. In fact, it got worse because this trial is going to lead to the execution and torture of one of his closest friends, his leader, his Lord, and, and he wasn't there for him. He said, they'll have to go through me to get to you, and the reality was he wouldn't even associate with him. I don't know who you're talking about. I do not know the man, and he was broken. I was crazy is that you know, of course, is that we can win on and the horror and the uh, despair and the darkness of Good Friday and all that was involved there, they just never saw that coming. And even when that turned to this unbridled joy on Sunday when Jesus rose, and remember this, I mean, they're first century Jews. They have no concept of resurrection in the here and now. This is completely outside of the worldview. They did not see that coming. Some of these people will say, well, they, they would become, believe in the first century. They believe anything, and they just believe in the supernatural, and they believe in that kind of, no, they don't believe that stuff. Nothing in their culture had prepared them for this. But even on Sunday, when the horror of Good Friday was transformed to this new joy that Jesus is back, it still didn't solve this deep personal failure in Peter's life. You know, it's interesting. We started the day with the story of this man, middle of the night, gets up, doesn't know what time it is, going to go with his buddies out on the sea. And as I described him, I used certain words to describe him. I said, he'd just gone through a time where it left him dazed and confused. I said, it was a, it was a time of great expectation. And it was that, that Palm Sunday when he'd come in with Jesus and the rest of the disciples to the praise of the crowds, Hosanna in the highest. I mean, they, they really thought this was go time. Peter and the rest of the men, they, they thought that this was the time that the kingdom of God was going to come on earth. They, they thought this was the time when Jesus would take this amazing power. They had watched him walk on water in the midst of a storm. They had watched him command the wind and the sea. They had watched him feed 5,000 men and their families. They had watched him heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, open the ears of the deaf, allow the mute to speak. They had watched him raise the dead and turn water into wine, and they believed that this was the time he was going to take that supernatural power and turn it on Rome. It was go time. Peter had his sword on his side. I am ready to rumble. And from that great expectation to the tragic loss of the execution and the torture of your leader and then to the unparalleled joy of having him back. How is this happening? It's just too good to be true on Easter Sunday. But that did not deal with a sense of personal despair and failure from his life. 
And so that night, as he gets out of bed and goes to meet his buddies out on the sea, where three years ago, Jesus had called him to follow me, and I will turn you into a fisher of men. Now, it's three years later, and it's as if nothing has happened, as if it was all a dream, except the reason it's a dream was because of his failure. And so now he's going out with his buddies. He hooks up with six of his Six of his, the guys, many of them would run with Jesus as well. And they head out to do, the only thing he knows how to do is to go fishing. Now in the Sea of Galilee, if you're a commercial fisherman, you fish uh, somewhere three or four in the morning to the early hours of the morning. It's during that time of the day that the warm water in the lake rises to the top and fish like that. They rise with it. It's the time of the day since it's dark out that fish can't see the nets as well. And so this is when you fish. When the sun comes up, the day gets going, you start wrapping up your work. And so they had gone out for several hours and they had fished. They had not caught a thing. They're about 100 yards from shore. And all of a sudden, as the dawn is beginning to rise, that one of them sees a figure on the shore. Now, One of the interesting things about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, you see it often, is that he's both, his body is both like his old body and unlike his old body. It's like this version 2.0 has some upgrades. And so you you can see the same body, the hands, you know, the the wounds, and so you can see that, and and yet there's often slow to recognize. And so they see this guy on the beach, and he asks them, hey, how's it going? He yells out across the water, how's it going? And they hadn't caught anything. It had been a miserable night. Peter's all stripped down. They're all stripped down to their kind of whatever they wear underneath their their outer clothes because uh, they're they're working. You know, they're sweating. It's hard work. And even though it's a cool April morning or or March morning, whatever it was, it's just still, it's a a cool morning, but they're, they're working hard. And all of a sudden, John realizes it's the Lord. It's Jesus. And he says, it's the Lord. And Peter does the craziest thing. I love this. He gets his clothes on and he jumps in the water. And he starts swimming to shore. You're like, what's the hurry? Right? You know? Meantime, Jesus is telling him, hey, try the other side of the boat. He had done this years before. And sure enough, boom, the fish hit 153. So the guys are going to be they're going to be busy a while, getting this you know, big haul in. And Peter, meanwhile, swimming. Have you ever tried to swim in your clothes? This is really hard. If it were me, this story would end like this. And Michael died about 50 yards from shore. Right? And it's like the end of John chapter 21. Right? Um, and he's with Jesus now. Uh, so Peter is obviously desperate. He's desperate. Right? He's got to get. Why is he jumping in? I don't know. One hunches he wants to get some time with alone. He wants to beat the others there, but he's desperate. So he gets in there, and Jesus is has got the grill going. Jesus is grilling up some fish, which they still eat for breakfast in Israel. Like it drives me crazy. But they got they, they got these guys like grilling up fish, you know, on the beach. For Peter. And so eventually, his whole crew gets in with 153 fish, and they all have breakfast together. And then after breakfast, Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, let's go for a walk. (laughs) 
hey, Jesus, it's okay if we all go for a walk? I mean, it's like, all the guys are going like, no, 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 let's just give you two a little time. How would you feel after that failure? I'm not so sure about how this conversation is going to go. And as they're walking along, Jesus asked Peter a question. And he says to, to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. I want you to picture how hard that must have been for him to say that. Uh, imagine you've betrayed someone. You've betrayed your spouse. It's the first time you've seen it. Do you love me? You've just betrayed them. It's a hard question to answer. And Peter says, yes. And Jesus says something interesting. He said, okay, then I need you to feed my sheep. So three years ago in the same lake, he said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher, teach you how to fish for men. Now three years later, he said, okay, if you love me, I need you to have a new job assignment. I want you to shepherd my flock. And so they walk on further and Jesus says again, hey, Peter, just wondering, I need to ask again. Um, do you, do you love me? And imagine how painful this must be. Like you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what's going on. Jesus is taking him back to that night. Three denials, three questions. And the second time, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He says, well, tend my lambs. Jesus is restoring him to leadership. And they walk a little further, and Jesus asks a third time, and this pierces Peter's heart. He says, Peter, I need to know, do you love me? At this point, when you read the story, you can feel the tension in the air. You can feel the emotion in Peter's voice. You can hear that emotion in his voice where he just says, Lord, you know, I, I, don't, know, I don't know more to tell you. Like, I, like between the lines, you're like, I, I know I denied you three times, and I I don't know how or why. I get why you're answering this question, but I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, you know everything. That's what he says. You know everything. Like, like Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him before Peter knew that. And so he appeals to Jesus. He says, Jesus, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, well then, shepherd my sheep. Three times, three questions for three failures. And I'm sure it was a very painful conversation for Peter to have Jesus take him back emotionally to that night. Three denials, three questions, three affirmations. But here's what I want you to catch. That Jesus was not taking him back in order to hurt him. Jesus was taking him back to heal him. You know, when we've gone through major failure in our life, the first step to healing is to call our failure by its true name. We have to face it. We can't pretend it didn't happen. We can't rationalize it. We can't excuse it. We can't project it on others. And we can't pretend it didn't happen. We have to own it. And what Jesus was doing was helping Peter 
to revisit his failure, but catch this, to revisit it in the presence of Jesus. And there, in the presence of Jesus, it could be healed. Because every time he said, yes, I love you, Jesus restored him to his calling. You see that? You know, many times in our life, we, we want to come home, we want to be forgiven, but we don't want to call our sin by its true name because we're afraid that God won't love us or accept us if we do. But the reality is we will never experience the love of God until we call it by its true name. Because deep in our heart, we always wonder how God really feels about us until we have that conversation. But it's there when we call it by our true name in the presence of Jesus and he not only forgives, but he restores and commissions us and calls us to a new future. There we find healing. And for that day, that moment, this was Peter's resurrection. This was his moment of resurrection. This was his second chance. This is where Jesus restored him and freed him from the past and raised him up. And you know, Peter would go on to be one of the great leaders of the early movement of Jesus, and he would show tremendous courage. In fact, within just a couple months, he's going to be called before the same Jewish high court that had arrested Jesus and pronounced their sentence of blasphemy before they turned him over to Rome to be executed. He'll be before that same exact high court, and they will tell him, you have got to stop talking about this man Jesus and his resurrection. And if you don't, bad things are going to happen to you. And Peter, boldly, and John with him, they stood up and they said, listen, we can't speak for you. You'll have to decide in your own life whether to listen to God or to man. But for us, we cannot stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And what we see is Jesus healed him that day on the beach and prepared him for the new future that he had for him. And so when Peter writes about, and he says that in his mercy, we have been born again to a living hope, this was not theory for Peter. This was his experience. He knew the mercy of God firsthand, and he knew that his future came out of that mercy. And so this leads us to an important question then. And there in your note sheet... There's a section that's called Second Chances, the Big Question. And I want to ask you a question based on, on Peter's experience and what he teaches us today. And the question goes like this. What's your response to the resurrection? We've seen here today this incredible claim that Peter is making, right? He's claiming that because of the resurrection of Jesus, it's possible for us to be born again, forgiven, receive a new life, uh, be changed and empowered by the Spirit, changed from the inside out, and we're born into a new future and a new world that's coming, a new heavens and a new earth. That is a pretty big claim. So the question is, how are you responding to that claim? What is your response to the resurrection? And so as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking that in this room over in the ridge that we have uh, probably like four different responses. I think that would probably cover most of us in this room. And what I want to do is just rapidly run through all four and see where you find yourself. Uh, my hunch is you'll be able to find yourself in one of these. So the first response, let's fill in the blank. 
The first response is a response of skepticism. And so I'm very aware that on Easter, that there are many people who come who don't normally come to church. And that can be for a variety of reasons, but, but for some of you here, the truth may be you'd really rather be somewhere else. That the, you're here to keep the peace. Uh, you're here because you promised your mom. You're here because it holds your marriage together. You're here because uh, you're, uh, you're a student and your, your, your folks said, hey, this is, it's Easter, uh, just hey, once a year, maybe twice Christmas. That's all we ask of you, but this is something we need to do as a family, and I know it's not something you believe, but just as a family, let's do this together, right? And so I, I realize that when you, that for, uh, when you well, like on an Easter weekend, that one response to the resurrection is skepticism. And so that response looks like this. So Peter, I get it. You claim to be an eyewitness of Jesus. And I don't know what happened, but I know you believe it. And I believe that you believe it. You obviously believe it. But I'm a scientific guy. And, and I, I believe in a closed universe. And I don't believe in supernatural events. And I, I believe that this was some sort of mythology. There's some sort of hallucination. There's some sort of rumor mill that got going. It's a wish. Pre- something happened. I don't know what had happened. Or maybe I have a pet theory in that. But, but I don't know what happened, but I don't believe this happened. I don't believe what you're claiming. I believe you believe it, but I don't believe it. And I got to tell you that if that's your response, I think it's a very fair response. I mean, I, I honestly believe that if I, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus, that would be my response. Because I tend to be kind of a skeptic by nature. So I totally get that. But here's what I want to challenge you on today is that if you're right, then the coast is clear. You're in good shape. Uh, you know, no harm, no foul. But if you are wrong, um, there's a lot riding on the resurrection of Jesus. Right? And you don't want to be on the wrong side of the resurrection. And so here's what I'd suggest. If you consider yourself a bright person, if you consider yourself an open-minded person, a person that's a seeker of truth, then I would simply ask you the question, have you ever taken the time to evaluate the historical evidence and the logic behind the resurrection, the cold, hard logic behind the resurrection? And if you haven't, I would challenge you, if you consider yourself an open-minded, kind of modern, sophisticated thinker, that you owe it to yourself to evaluate the evidence. Now, uh, there are many different ways to do that, but I'm going to suggest an easy one. You might have a a different one, but I want to suggest a book. It's there on your note sheet. We actually sold out of these last night. We don't have them here, but you can get them on Amazon because you can get anything on Amazon in two days. So uh, it's called The Case for Christ. (laughs) You can, like, I want a state in two days. Uh, You can get... uh, the Case for Christ, and it's written by a man named Lee Strobel, and there's a really interesting story behind this book. Uh, Lee is a Yale-trained attorney, right? So he went to Yale Law School, and uh, after law school, he eventually went to work for the Chicago Tribune as their legal uh, reporter, their legal, you know, writer. And, uh, and so he's, he's an attorney and a journalist, right? And so, so one day, his wife comes home and tells him she's become a Christian, now, this is like bad news for Lee. He's like, are you kidding? This is not what I sold up, uh, signed up for. So he decides he has to debunk 
this Jesus thing to get his wife back. And so he decides he's going to take his skills as an attorney and as a journalist, and he's going to combine those, and he is going to do the research on the resurrection to show her this is ridiculous, it didn't happen. And so he begins doing a series of interviews with top uh, scholars and authorities in fields like archaeology, uh, history, textual criticism, and so on. And he does these real interviews, and the more he learns the more intrigued he becomes. And by the end of the process, he becomes convinced that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus as a trained attorney and a trained legal journalist is overwhelming. And so he gives his life to Jesus. And so in this book, he shares his story and his journey. It's very easy to read. Here's who I talk to. Here's the topic. Here's who I talk to. Here's the topic. As he takes you on the journey. Now, here's what I'd say. If you consider yourself an open-minded, educated, sophisticated person, I would say that this would be a great way for you to explore this. And if you're really courageous, and this is a big ask, but if you're really courageous, you could even say a prayer as you start the process. And I don't care if you're an agnostic or an atheist. If that's the case, no one's there. No one will hear you anyway. <laughs> but you just say a prayer, and here's your prayer. Simple prayer. Jesus, if the stories about you are true... Would you reveal yourself to me? Now, I can tell you something. That is a very risky prayer. I'm going to warn you. Uh, don't pray if you're not serious. Because, um, because if Jesus shows up, your life's going to change. <laughs> I'm telling you. And so, um, and the, you know, the reality is, as many people who say, I don't believe, I can't believe it, the reality is they don't have the courage to pray that prayer. Because deep inside, they don't want it to be true. Because if, if it's not true, I can run my own life. If it's true, I've got to give my life to someone else. So it takes a lot of courage, a lot of honesty. But it's a powerful response to the resurrection. Second, the second response is a response of hunger. So this is someone on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're here today, and this may be the first time in your life you've ever heard um, the account or story of the resurrection and why it's important in a way that made sense to you. And if that's the case, it's not because of what I'm saying, but because the Holy Spirit is blowing through this room, that, that if that's happening in you, if you feel the wind of your spirit in your, in your life, what, what you're feeling like, right, you're just so hungry. Like your heart's about beating out of your chest right now. You are so excited at this prospect. Could this be true? Could I actually start over? Could I actually have a fresh start in life? Could I actually have a second chance? Could I be born again? Is that even possible? If that's possible, if the future is real, if this is real, and I believe it is sitting here, I'm believing it is, I want in. And I'm just hungry. What do you want me to do? Walk the aisle, raise my hand. Like, how do I meet Jesus? And if that's where you're at, in a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus in your life. Number three, 
Third response, and I have a huge heart for this kind of person if you're here. And this third response is fear. And this really speaks to those of you who once walked with Jesus, but you're not currently walking with Jesus. What I find is on Easter, we often have people join us that, that once walked with Jesus, but are now a long ways away. That in many ways, you find yourself like where Peter was. That you've denied him. You've denied Jesus, either by your words or by your life. And your fear is, if you ever tried to come home, if you ever jumped out of the boat and swam to shore, Jesus wouldn't want you. Your fear is that you've gone too far, your sin has been too great. And I think if there's anything we learn from Peter's story today, is that if you want to come home, it's never too late. And then if you will jump out of the boat and take the risk of coming, when you get to the shore, you will find he's got the grill going for you. The third response is a response of belief. And this is for those of us here who are followers of Jesus. We came to church this day not to question the resurrection, uh, not because we didn't know about that. We came because we do know, and we're excited about this. And there was a time in our life, whether it was a long time ago or recently, that, that we were born again, that God's Spirit came into our life. They opened our eyes to who Jesus was, and we experienced the presence of God come into our life and get to change us from the inside out. And so, so we would say, yes, we believe. We've worked through the issues, and we believe in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and it's through that that it makes all things new. We've come into relationship with God, and yet the question I have for you is not do you believe in the resurrection, but are you living a resurrected life? Because the reason Jesus died and rose is not so you could be born and then stay a baby. You're born again into a whole new future called the new hope. And that is an upward trajectory. And so when you came to Jesus, he had a vision for your life. And he still has that vision for your life. And if you're living a boring Christian life, I can guarantee you, you're not living the vision. And worse, worse yet, if you are bored with Jesus, you're not where you're supposed to be. Because when we're born again into a living hope, this is a passionate walk that we're called into. And so once we understand the resurrection and we understand where this story is going, when we catch a vision of that, we want to live this day for that day, every day. And so the question is, where are you with Jesus? If you've been born again, are you running hard after the kingdom? Because I can tell you, that if you're not passionate about Jesus, something is wrong. You are not growing to be the person he created you to be. He didn't die so you could rise and be bored. He died so you could rise and run hard into your future. Amen? In Ephesians, 
the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, and he says, awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so what is your response? In a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to respond during the time of, of, of song. But right now, I want to share a story with you of a resurrection, a story of a second chance, a story of a new birth. It's a story of, of one of our partners here at Rocky Peak, a life that was once in death and despair and hopelessness, a life of fear and failure that was raised by Jesus to new life, a man who was born again to a whole new hope, to a living future through the resurrection of Jesus. Let's turn our attention to screens. Amazing story of resurrection, second chances, new birth. And it can be your story too. Let's pray together. Lord, we're just thankful for here. We thank you for your life and your death and resurrection that makes all things new. We thank you for the new birth. It's not about us. It's about you. It's about what you do. It's not about something that we achieve. It's about a gift we receive. And so, Lord, today and this weekend, we just gather here. We want to bring our responses like in, in bushel baskets. We've got four to bring to you. And I want to talk first to those where our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Those of you who would say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a skeptic. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at is that I want you to know that I have a, a love and respect for you. We'd probably love just sitting down and having, having uh, coffee together. But I just want to challenge you that if you've never really investigated the resurrection, man, you are, you need to do that. And I want to challenge you in this, perhaps in this moment, perhaps later this week, that if you have the courage that you would simply speak into the air, you're not sure if anyone's there and say, Jesus, if you're real, reveal yourself. And that you would, you would start this journey and you pick up that book. And that would be the start of your, your response today. And for those of you who are here that You've been in that place of fear. You are in the boat. You so much want to swim ashore, but you have so much shame and so much baggage and so much, so many regrets. And you're afraid that if you tried to swim to shore, they would just weigh you down and you would, you'd sink before you even got there. I just want to encourage you that you don't need to fix yourself. You don't need to clean up your act before you come home. You just need to come home. And you need to have that honest conversation. And you need to see what happens when you swim to shore. I want to encourage you today to get out of that boat and come home. And discover that he'll be there waiting for you with the fish grilling, ready for breakfast together and your conversation honest conversation that will lead to your healing and a whole new future. And then for those of you here that you say you're self-identified Christ for, you've been born again, you've had that experience. But the question is, are you running hard after the kingdom? Are you living this day for that day? Is the Holy Spirit calling you in any particular way 
that there's something in your life that's getting in the way of his high calling in your life. And, and today you want to rise with him. Awake sleeper, rise from the dead. He will, he will shine on you. Is there anything, any response he's calling you to make? And then finally, I want to talk to those of you who are hungry that you, you're all in. You, you want to follow Jesus. You're just so hungry to give your life to him today. You want to be born again. You want to be forgiven. You're willing to come clean about your sin, your rebellion. You're willing to own that. But you, you know that you need him to forgive you. You need to, to give a new life to you like you gave to Steve in the story we just, we just heard. You need a new life. You need to be changed. You need a new love. You need to be remade from the inside out. You need a new future. And if you're here today and you've come to say, I do believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe in that resurrection. And I, I want in. I want to give you a chance to give your life to Christ today. So this expresses the desire of your heart. I just want you to pray along with me inside your mind, your heart. The Lord will hear Please just pray with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. And I ask you to forgive me for all my rebellion and sin. And I, I want to stop that. I want to follow you. And I ask you for the power to live a new life. I ask you to cause me to be born again by your spirit. You would lead me and teach you how to follow you. And you, so I'll be ready for the new future that's coming. Well, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to welcome you to the family. You've started an incredible journey. And this week, I would love to send you a letter that just so here's some helpful first steps in this new journey with Jesus. And, and so what I'd ask you to do is, in just a moment, we go into this time of song, that you would reach inside your program, take out the little connect card, fill out the front, <coughs> write a message in the back to say, Michael, I gave my life to Jesus. I'll know what that means. We'll begin praying for you, and we'll send you the letter this week. And so, Lord, we thank you for your life and your death and your resurrection. And we thank you for this amazing invitation that it's by the mercy of God that we can all come home. It's by the mercy of God we can be born again. It's by the mercy of God we can rise from the ashes that there's an invitation to come. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, the band's going to be playing a song. And I want you to let the words of this song just wash over you. Let this be a time of your response where you respond as God is leading you to do. And Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Happy Easter, Rocky Peak. Amen. He has come out of that grave, and he calls us to follow him. And because of his love and his mercy and grace, we can do that. We can rise and become a new creation. As we leave today, a couple things. First of all, whether you're in the Ridge or here in our worship center, uh, over to my right and your left, we always have prayer teams that are there after every service. They have that badges on. Anything you need prayer for, they'd love to have you there. Don't forget as you go out, we got life group signups, pursuing God journals. Be sure that you pick up those. I hope you can join us next week as we start this journey. Very excited about this next stage of our church as we're pursuing God together. But until then, may this be a week that God meets you in a powerful way. And may you experience the resurrection of Jesus in you this week. The word says, if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead in, 
lives in you, then you're, you have a bright future. If the Spirit of the raise Christ lives in you, that he will give life also to your mortal bodies. And so may this be a week that you rise and shine, for your light has come, that Christ may shine on you. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you next weekend. I love you.